today we're going to be in verses 27 through 31. Hebrews 11, 27 through 31, looking at Moses and a couple other people um, about how, how they saw God as their deliverer. And uh, that means we're going to be jumping around quite a bit in the Old Testament as well, like Exodus and the book of Joshua. So I'll, just, I'll have those up on the screen for you because they're going to be hard to follow in your Bible. But you can just keep yourself there in Hebrews 11, and we'll do some work on that this morning. Now, to start off here, I was thinking about this week. I want you to, I want you to work with me for just a moment here. And I want you, everyone to close your eyes, okay? This is a safe place. Nothing's going to happen. It's okay. Go ahead and just close your eyes. And I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine that you right now are in a deep, deep sleep in your bed. I mean like the really good sleep with the happy dreams and like some of you are like, you're wishing, I, w- I wish I was still there right now, actually. Um, but don't, don't fall asleep. Just imagine that you're there in that really deep, great sleep. And then all of a sudden you wake up. And your room, your bedroom, is engulfed in flames. I mean fire everywhere. Like fire in front of the door, fire in front of the windows, all around the bed. Blocking you, you can't move anywhere. You, you cover your mouth to try to limit the smoke and the, and, the, and the fumes from coming into your lungs. The flames are getting larger and larger and closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, a firefighter busts through the door. He says that the whole house is on fire. Everyone else is out except for you, but we have to get you out. And if we're going to get you out safely, you have to listen to everything I say. You got it? And then he proceeds to safely lead you out of the house saying, step here, don't step there, duck down here, do this, do that. And he gets you out to safety. All right, you can open your eyes. Some of y'all didn't even close your eyes. I saw you. I saw you. (laughs) When that happened, how closely were you listening to, obeying, and following that firefighter to get out of that house? Extremely, right? He had your full attention. Because you knew that your only confidence, your only hope of getting out alive was in him. That's a picture of the Christian walk, the Christian faith, in Jesus Christ, is that we have no hope of surviving on our own. We have no hope of life on our own. The only way we're getting from death to life is to listen and obey and follow the one who can get us there. And that's what we're going to see in the lives of these people this morning. That deeper faith walks in confidence that God will deliver me from death to life. Not that I will deliver me, not that church will deliver me, not that the pastor will deliver me, not that something else is going to get it done, but that God himself, him alone, will deliver me from death to life. He's the one that I need my faith in. And so with that in mind, let's look at verse 27. This first example talks about Moses. It says, by faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is Moses he's talking about, by the way. And by faith he, Moses, kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right, so the first thing we see here this morning is this. Number one, when evil threatens, God will deliver me. When evil threatens, God will deliver me. So it starts off in verse 27. It says that he, Moses, left Egypt not being afraid. 
which is an interesting line because we, we know from last week's study of Moses, right, that, that this can't refer to Exodus chapter 2 when Moses leaves Egypt the first time. Because if you remember back in chapter 2, verse 14, it said, Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, and Moses fled from Pharaoh. So the first time Moses leaves Egypt, it's out of fear. But here, it says, By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of Pharaoh. And so here, verse 27 is rather referring to Moses' final leaving of Egypt. His time of exodus where he leads God's people out triumphantly from Pharaoh's control. And that's why it says here that when he left Egypt not being afraid, that he endured in his leaving. You see that? If we go back and we look at the story, the road of Moses leaving and leading the Israelites out in the exodus was a long, difficult road on multiple fronts that he had to persevere and not give up. We can go back in Exodus, and if we were to read it, it would be from chapters 4 all the way through chapter 13. It's a long road, right? And we see that, that he first, he's out, you know, away from Egypt because he ran away. First, he has to return to Egypt, despite the fact that there's still bad blood between him and the royal family, right? Possibly a threat to his life. But he returns to Egypt to then engage in multiple conflicts with Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh release his Israelite slaves. No doubt, that was a dangerous and life-threatening position, right? And here's the kicker. If you read in that account when God tells Moses to go back and do this, he already told him up front, like, listen, go back, tell Pharaoh to let him go, but he's not going to (laughs) listen. Like, like he's already told him, okay, he's not going to listen. He's not going to do it. And... Not only that, I'm going to show him wonders, I'm going to show him signs, I'm going to show him plagues, I'm going to do all this thing, and he's still not going to do it. And it's going to end with me killing his firstborn son and the first, every firstborn son in the land of Egypt. Like That wouldn't give you a whole lot of hope and confidence as Moses, right, to go back and do this. But he did. He has meeting after meeting with Pharaoh to make demands, to give warnings, to see Pharaoh relent and say, all right, you can go, only then to recant and take it back and say, no, never mind, you can't go. Over and over and over again. But Moses didn't lose faith. He kept going back. He kept enduring because he believed God. He believed God when he said that he would deliver his people. He believed God when he said the promise will be fulfilled and the people will make it to the promised land. He had faith. Hebrews says it like this. He endured seeing him who is invisible. Seeing him who is unseen. Which sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like, but but at the people of faith, we know that it's not. He was seeing him, the unseen one, with eyes of faith. He was seen with spiritual sight rather than just mere physical sight. He was seeing the power of God. He was seeing the faithfulness of God that was there, and he was confident that God was his deliverer in this situation. That he would deliver him and the Israelites from the evil threat against their lives and against his promises. And so the first example of Moses is him him leading the people out like this. And then the second one, it says that by faith he kept the Passover. Now, 
To be honest, a better interpretation there, I think, would be that he established the Passover. Because it wasn't like it was already going on. Like, this was the first one. <laughs> like, like, Moses was the one who said, all right, here's what we're going to do. And he institutes the Passover in response to God's final plague. And so if we were to go to Exodus chapter 11, you would see that in the final plague against Egypt, God says, all right, I'm going to send an angel, and we're going to kill the firstborn son, the firstborn male of every household in Egypt, humans and cattle, in response to their continued rebellion against me and against my word. He said, but I'm going to save the Israelite families. Every Israelite will be spared through this process of the Passover. And then in Exodus 12, he gives very specific instructions to Moses, like, here's how you're going to do it, all right? First of all, every household in Egypt was supposed to go, every household in Israel was supposed to go and find a lamb, all right? A spotless lamb, a lamb without any blemish. And then they were to sacrifice that lamb and make the Passover meal out of it. And then they were to sit down that night and eat the meal together with the shoes on their feet and their robes on their back, ready to leave at a moment's notice when God showed up to deliver them out. But the key part was this. After they sacrificed the land, they're supposed to take its blood, and they're supposed to sprinkle it on the doorframe of their house, so that when the angel of death, or as what Hebrew calls him here, the destroyer of the firstborn, when he came over Egypt to carry out the plague, he would see the blood on the doorpost of the Israelite houses, and he would know in that house the lamb died instead of the son, and he would pass over, get that? He would pass over their house and spare them from the plague of death. And I love this story. It's, it's, it's the most clearest picture in the Old Testament of the gospel, of Christ. In fact, several passages in the New Testament refer back to the Passover lamb in talking about Jesus and talking about the gospel. And this applies to us because just like them, we are in rebellion against God. Every time we sin, every time we disobey his word, every time we do our own thing, we are in rebellion against God just like they were. And we deserve death to pay for our sin against a holy and perfect God. And yet, God, out of his love for us, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to be our sacrificial lamb. To come and die in our place and to cover us with his blood so that we could be delivered from death the consequences of our sin. In the New Testament, when Jesus is on this, first kind of comes on the scene, John the Baptist, he's a prophet. And he sees Jesus coming, and he says this. He says, uh, he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John 1.29, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Saying before anything happened, before Jesus ever went to the cross, before it was ever fulfilled, he's like, this is the guy. This is the Lamb of God. This is the one we've been waiting for that will cover our sins with his own blood. Later on in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes in verse 18, he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that you inherited from your forefathers, from your sinful lives, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, we can be delivered from our sin. We can be delivered from death. We can be saved through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, but we have to do what Moses did. We have to walk in faith. We have to trust in Him. We have to believe that He is the one who saves us and we follow Him as our Lord and Savior no matter what. We endure. In 1 Corinthians 5-7, Paul says this. He says, cleanse out the old leaven, which old leaven there is, is representative of sin. right? Cleanse out the old sin of your life. That you, may have be, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Here it is. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He says the sacrifice has already happened. Christ has already been sacrificed as our Passover lamb to cover your sins. And so you are forgiven if you'll put your faith in him. Now cleanse your life through his blood. Let him be the one who washes you clean. This is how we receive deliverance from the evil of sin in our hearts, in our lives, in our world, is to turn away from that sin, put our faith in Jesus alone, and let Him deliver us from sin and death that He conquered in the grave and in His resurrection. You know, over the last several months, we have not, um, I've not really said much about the Russo-Ukrainian war that's been going on. We've prayed uh, for, both, for all those involved, that God would work in this tragic, um, tragic incident going on. But we haven't really talked much about it. But, but no doubt, we've all seen it, right? We've all seen the continued coverage and reports and pictures of this tragedy. And, and we're grieved by that loss of life. We're grieved by um, the, the, the loss of dignity, even, in this whole, whole issue. But this last week, I was, I was reading, and I was looking at some things, and and Ukraine experienced two stark realities this last week. I don't know if anybody else saw this. First thing was they celebrated their own Independence Day. They celebrated their day that declared that they were free as a country, while also they crossed the six-month mark of war with Russia, fighting for that very freedom. And in those two things happening in the same week, we see the irony in that, don't we? Right? We see the irony of fighting for that freedom and yet being able to declare we are still free. And we see the fortitude of the Ukrainians that they're continuing to press forward. They're continuing to defend their country. And all of that is admirable and great. But here's the real truth. They never would have made it this far on their own. They're just too small. Like they, they, they don't, they, the army's too small. They don't have enough supplies and weapons. They, they could not have stood up to Russia and to fend off that evil attack against them on their own. They were reliant on other nations to come alongside them, right, and to provide funds and to provide resources and to provide training and, and military equipment and all these things to help them defend themselves. And those nations had to sacrifice and, and, and give in order to do that. Now there's questions about how long can they do that. And, but as I was reading, as I was looking at that, I, I realized their only chance for deliverance was through the help and the sacrifice of these other nations. And friends, our only chance for deliverance 
is through the help and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can't do it. Like, we grow up in a nation that tells us constantly that you can do anything you want to do if you just work hard enough and you put your mind to it and you go through the steps and you, do, you check the boxes. And on a lot of fronts, that may be true. When it comes to sin and salvation, it is not. We cannot deliver ourselves. Only God can do that. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. In him and in him alone do we hold on to the confidence of this promise that God will deliver me from the evil of sin and death if I put my faith in Jesus. He will. He will deliver me from the evil of sin if I will put my faith in Jesus Christ. Second thing we see here, look at verse 29. It says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And so now we've shifted. We're not talking about Moses anymore. Now we're talking about them, they, the people, uh, which is actually the Israelites as a whole. Okay? And so point number two is this. When defeat seems certain, God will deliver me. When defeat seems certain, God will deliver me. So, again, the people here is referring to the Israelites more generally, which is, if you know the story of the Israelites, might be kind of strange because you're like, yeah, they had some issues. <laughs> like, like, their faith was not always that strong. But in this particular instance, it was specifically when they crossed the Red Sea. And when we go back and when we read the Old Testament, this becomes like the biggest moment, the biggest moment of deliverance for God's people in all of the Bible, right? The moment where he takes them into freedom, he takes them into the promised land. And for the Jews, they constantly would point back to the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the Exodus. Like this was the climax of their faith in the Lord. And so it should also fitting that it's the climax of this catalog of faith that we see here in Hebrews chapter 11. But what's interesting to me is actually not so much the crossing of the Red Sea, but the setup of this event in the Bible. I think sometimes we miss this part of the story. So I want to just even read it for you this morning. Look at Exodus 14. It'll be on the screen. Exodus 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hathoroth, between Migdal and the sea. In front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So here's what's interesting to me. Oftentimes I think when we tell this story, it gets told like this. Okay, Israel leaves Egypt, they kind of start heading towards the promised land, and then lo and behold, they just kind of stumble upon the Red Sea, and like, oh no, there's a sea in the way. What are we going to do? And then Pharaoh catches up, and they get stuck, and God delivers them. But that's not what happened. Right? When we see here, there was another way to the promised land, actually. I don't know if you know this, but like, there's actually another path they could have, that God could have led them on with no water barrier. It would have been much easier to get there, but there were just some people in the way. And so God chose, specifically told them, go this way. And then when they got to the Red Sea, he's like, all right, now stop here, and I want you to camp right next to the sea. 
because Pharaoh's coming. That, that sounds like we shouldn't be here, God. We need to go somewhere else. If Pharaoh's coming here, we need to go. And he's like, no, no, I want you to camp right here because Pharaoh's coming, and when he comes, I'm going to get glory over him. See, this was part of the plan. Right? This, this was no accident. This was no navigational mistake. This wasn't a lack of foresight on God's part. He was setting this up so that he, the people could see that he was going to deliver them from their enemy. He was going to deliver them when hope looked lost, when there was no other options, God was going to do it. Sometimes God has to allow us or put us in that position where we don't have any other options for us to finally turn to him and let him be the one who delivers us. And so, sure enough, Pharaoh finally shows up and the Israelites, they freak out, right? They're they're all yelling at Moses like, what did you do? Why did you bring us out here to die? We could have died in Egypt. Like, why we got to die out here? Right? Well, we, should, we were better off as slaves. And then Moses says this in verse 13. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, who, Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words... God's got this, so zip it. That's, that's Micah's translation, okay? And then God responds to that with this in verse 15. He says, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Why, why are you all crying out like, this is a, like there's something wrong here? He says, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Which is exactly what Hebrews says. It says they crossed the sea on dry land. And the story goes like this, that God sent this massive wind to come and to basically blow the sea into two halves, into these two giant towering walls of water, on both sides, and the wind was so strong and so long that it dried out all of the ground where the water had been. Like, there wasn't like a little couple inches of water they had to kind of, you know, wade through. There wasn't even like mud where they were getting their sandals stuck or the cattle or the the cartwheels. Like, it was dry ground that the people were able to walk across on dry ground, which was had to have just been mind-blowing amazing, right, to see that. And yet, despite seeing that, they're still, the people of Israel still had to take a step of faith to cross. I want you to imagine this for a second. Put yourself in this story. Okay, the winds come, walls of water both sides, dry ground, time to go. But then you have to step out between these giant, gravity-defying, human understanding, I don't get it, walls of water and walk across however long this distance, like, how long are they going to hold? How long are they going to stay? Like, are we going to get halfway, and they come crashing down, and we all die? Is there going to be some slimy seaweed or water snake pop out of the wall of water and hit me in the face? Like, I, like what's going to happen as we start to walk across here? And so the people had to have faith to take that step and to follow God, but they did it because they believed that when defeat was certain, When all hope was lost, when all they had to see was Pharaoh coming at them, they had faith to believe that God was going to deliver them through the sea. 
And it says, but when the Egyptians attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Again, Exodus tells the same story. That as the Israelites went through, the Egyptians tried to follow them through. And as they did, God told Moses, lift up your hands. And the water came crashing back down on top of the Egyptians and drowned every soldier, every chariot, every horse. All the host of Pharaoh was gone. Not one survived. Now, I know this story is like hard to believe for some people. right? There's some skeptics in our day who would be like, yeah, that didn't really happen. It's actually a misprint in the text. That it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. I don't know if anybody else has heard this, right? There was another area that was just kind of this like small, marshy, you know, kind of six inches of water area. And they're like, no, no, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. So they didn't need a miracle. They just walked across it because it was, you know, just a marsh. Like, it wasn't a big deal. If that was true, it's not. If it was true, you're now trying to convince me that Pharaoh's army the most advanced, most, the strongest, most able army in the, on the planet at this time could not catch Israel because they drowned in six inches of water. Like, that seems like an even more, a bigger miracle than the splitting of the sea would have been, right? But nonetheless, Israelites get through, Pharaoh comes through, and in the end, it was just as God had said it was. In verse 31, it says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. See, God delivered his people from defeat, and he received all the glory because of their faith. And so first, he takes them across the Red Sea, and then the second example here in Hebrews that for the people of Israel are the walls of Jericho. Now, if you're a church person, you've been around church for a while, you grew up in church as a kid, like you already know about Jericho. Some of you, maybe this is new for you, but Jericho was the, the, this mighty fortress of a city that stood at the entrance to the promised land, all right? To get into Canaan, to get where God was leading his people, they were going to have to go through Jericho. And Jericho was known for its walls. They had these giant walls that went all the way around the city that they were four and a half feet wide, all right? So giant walls, and Israel was completely unable to breach these walls. They had no hope, right? They, they were unprepared, they were untrained, they were unequipped. There was no way they were getting through those walls on their own. If they had to go through Jericho, defeat seemed certain. But here in Hebrews, it says that the walls of Jericho fell down. Which, by the way, if you know anything about walls, that's what, they're, that's what they don't do. Right? Like, walls are built to not fall down. Right? That's the whole purpose of a wall. But here they fell down, and here's what happens in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and out because of the people of Israel. So they shut all the gates, all the, all the ways in the city was all shut up. Nobody could get in or out. None went in, none came out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once, and thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat." And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. 
So they get to Jericho. They're looking. They're like, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. God comes down. He says, all right, all right here's, the, here's the plan. Here's the plan. We're not going to fight. We're just going to march. All right? Now, I, I grew up in a town where marching band was a big deal. But they weren't winning any fights. I'm just telling you. Like, they, they weren't the ones you wanted if you were going into battle. It's just, that's just not what it was, okay? But God's like, all right, we're not going to fight. We're just going to march around the city six times. No element of surprise. Like, they know we're there, right? No intimidation tactics. No direct attack. Just march around the city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, we're not going to march once. We're going to march around the city for like an hour. So they know for sure what's going on. And then we're going to shout and play the horns, and the walls are going to come down. And Joshua's like, okay, great, let's do it. And this was it, and Hebrews says that the people did. They encircled Jericho for seven days because their faith was not in themselves. Their faith was not in their abilities. Their faith was not in anything but the Lord. And God said, do this, and they obeyed, and they saw the walls fall. Because God delivers his people when defeat seems certain. When all hope was lost, they trusted in God, they obeyed his command, and he delivered them. This, this is our God's rep, by the way. Like This is his track record all throughout history. Right? We, we, started, we just talked about the Red Sea. He delivered his people from certain defeat with Pharaoh. Here at Jericho, he delivers his people from certain defeat with Jericho and the Canaanites. We can jump to the book of Judges. And you got Gideon, right? He gets this big army together to go fight against the Midianites. He's like, no, no, that's too many. 300, that's all I want. And he gets them all the way down to 300 men, and they go fight, and God delivers his people. Go over to David and Goliath, right? Whole army scared, nobody's moving, nobody's fighting, nobody's doing anything. God's like, David, you go take care of this. And David goes, and God delivers Goliath into his hands because David obeyed. I think about Daniel. They're living in exile. They're away from God, away from Jerusalem, away from everything. He's still faithful. He's still following God. And then they say, all right, you can't pray no more. He's like, well, too bad. And so they throw him in the lion's den. Certain death, certain defeat. Next day they come back, he's still alive. Because God delivered him. Nehemiah, they come back. He leads all the people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Everybody's attacking them. Everybody's trying to stop him from building the wall, doing the whole thing. And God is with them because he's obeying what God called, and God delivers his people and rebuilds Jerusalem. We jump all the way to Jesus. The list could go on and on and on, but we get to Jesus, and defeat for him took him all the way to death. Right? They thought they had him. Defeat took him all the way to the grave, and then God came and delivered him on the third day because Jesus was faithful to obey his Father and to walk in obedience to what God had called him. He had faith that it was all going to go according to the plan of the Lord. Some of you today, this morning, right now, you're facing some situation in your life where you feel like defeat is certain. Right? It's just, it, it, everything's crumbling. You've got some physical illness that you've been fighting and there's no light at the end of that tunnel. Like you can't see a way out of this thing. Some of you are just weeks away or days away from being fired. And you know, like, I'm losing my job. I have no income for my family. It's all going away. I have no idea how we're going to make it. 
Some of you are feeling trapped or defeated in your marriage. It's fight after fight, it's issue after issue, and you can't see the next step forward. I just don't know how we're going to survive this. Some of you are trying to be faithful at school. You're trying to walk out your faith and to love the Lord, and there's nobody around you that's supporting you, nobody's encouraging you, that everyone's attacking, like it's, it, there's, there's nothing there for you to hold on to. And you feel like, I don't know how much longer I can handle this. Some of you are praying for that wayward child or that lost spouse or that loved one who just doesn't seem to get it. And week after week, there's no change and no change and it just feels like, God, it's just going just gonna to all fall apart. But I'm here to tell you today, God's word is true. And when defeat seems certain, God will deliver. For those who are faithful, for those who are obedient, for those who are walking with the Lord, he will deliver. You might not see it yet. Right now, all you see is the big giant sea with no way across. Or the giant walls that you can't break through. You don't see it yet, but God has a plan to deliver. And you will see it if you continue to walk in faith with the Lord. God will deliver me from defeat when I walk in obedience with him. He will. He will deliver me. He will deliver you from defeat if we walk in obedience with the Lord. Lastly, we go to verse 31. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The last thing we see here this morning, and this is so key, this one is the key to the other two. Okay? The other two don't work if you don't get number three. Genuine repentance. When repentance is genuine, God will deliver me. Starts off here with Rahab the prostitute. So like Hebrews, it's just like just telling all her business. Right? He's just like putting it straight out there. Like this is, this is what it was. No secrets here. And what we know about Rahab is that she was not an Israelite. Right? She, was, she was not one of God's people. She was not one of the ones that, that, that were in. She was a Canaanite. She worshipped a false god. She worshipped somebody else. She didn't worship Yahweh. So strike one. Number two, she lives in Jericho, which makes her a part of the obstacle, part of the problem between God's people and God's promises. Strike number two. And then lastly, it says right here, as Hebrews points out, that she's a prostitute. Her life is defined by sin. Strike three. So clearly, she, if anyone is, she is deserving of God's wrath. She is deserving of ultimate death for her sin against the holy God. And yet, Hebrews says right here that she did not perish because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Not that friendly welcome. They came to the city looking to spy out the city, and they end up finding lodging and protection in her home. 
She takes them in to hide them and protect them from the king and the king's soldiers. And as they come and try to find them, she, she throws them off their path. And then, after she hides them, she goes to them and she says this in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9. It says, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And so she goes to them and she, she gives them this plea, like, please, I've been kind to you, be kind to me and save me. But in the middle of that, the key is verse 11, where she says, the Lord, your God, not my God, not the God I used to worship, your God, he is the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Rahab had shifted. She had turned away from her sin. She hid the spies and she believed, because she believed in their God. And she put her faith in him, her trust in him alone. She knew he was the only way she was going to be delivered from death to life. And so, she repented of her sin, and she turned to God, and she hid the spies, and then she helps them escape. If you know the story, she helps them escape out the window of her house. She lowers them out of the window because her house was actually built into the wall of the city. That's really important, by the way. Keep that in mind for a second, okay? So the spies get out. They go back. Israel comes. They, this is Jericho, right? So they circle Jericho like we just talked about. They scream, blow the horns. The walls all fall down. Picture this. Every wall, all the walls fall down on Jericho except... This one little section with Rahab's house. <laughs> it's just like this one, like, like in the Dr. Seuss book. I'm like, there's one little section that's kind of sticking up. It's got Rahab's house in there. And they go out and they bring Rahab and her family out alive. And she was saved. And then we read this in verse 25. It says, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua and sent to spy out Jericho. You see, it wasn't just a one-time thing. By faith, she comes to live and be a part of God's people forever. She was all in. Her repentance was genuine. Her faith was genuine in the Lord. And if we go to Matthew chapter 1, and we read the genealogy of Jesus, guess who shows up? Right? Rahab is the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth. She's the great-great-grandmother of King David, and she's in the line of Jesus, the Messiah himself. Because of her faith, because of her genuine repentance, she went from cursed to chosen and a part of the family of God. And the contrast here in Hebrews is she was saved alive unlike those who were disobedient. You see that? That's the rest of Jericho, right? Everybody else in the city, they died because of their disobedience to the Lord. That's the rest of Canaan. That's all of us. We are the disobedient. We are the ones who sin and disobey God. We are the ones who need 
to repent and be saved from our sin. And we disobey God because we lack faith. That's really what disobedience is about. We lack faith that he really is the holy God and worthy of our worship and our love and our surrender. But not Rahab. She turned away from her sin. She turned away from her disobedience. She put her faith in the Lord and she was delivered. Tangibly delivered, saved from death to life. And the same is true for all of us today. We're all sinners. We're all disobedient. We're all stuck in our sin, headed for death and hell. And the only way we can be saved, the only way we can be delivered, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine repentance. Where we turn from our sin, we put our faith in Jesus, and he saves us. And he will do it if we will turn to him. He can deliver you today. I promise you, no matter what your sin is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how long you've been doing it, no matter how recent it happened, you're like, Mike, it was like last night. I get it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how dirty it is, how evil you think it is, how devastating it is. God can deliver you from any sin today if you will repent and put your faith in him. Friends, There are some stories in this room right now, some stories of deliverance in this room that would blow your mind if you knew them. Because this is what our God does. He delivers his people from sin. He delivers us from death to life. And if you'll genuinely repent, he will do it for you too. God will deliver me when I genuinely repent of my sin. Deeper faith walks in confidence that God will deliver me from death to life. Do you have that confidence this morning? He will do it. He will deliver you from death. He will deliver you from your sin. He will deliver you from defeat. He always has and he always will for those who repent of their sin and turn to him in obedient faith. And so my question for you as we close this morning is simply this. What do you need to repent of today? What do you need to turn away from? What sin still has a grip on your heart and on your life this morning? And you need to leave that behind and turn and follow God so that he can deliver you. For some of you, this could be a first-time thing. Like you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never come to salvation For the very first time today, you need to repent of your sinful life, turn to Jesus, and let him save you. If that's you, man, do that today. We'd love to help you do that. If you have questions, I'm happy to talk with you. But for many of you, you've already taken that step. Praise the Lord. But there's still some sin in your life that's holding on to your heart. You're still gripped by some besetting sin that just... Is you can't shake it and it just keeps gnawing at you day after day and you can't seem to get rid of it. God can deliver from that too. And it starts with genuine repentance. It starts with a broken heart over my own sin 
and laying it before the Lord saying, God, take this. I can't. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't shake it. Lord, I need you. And genuinely asking the Lord to deliver you from that sin. And so whatever situation you're in today, we're going to use this closing time now just to have a time of prayer for repentance. You can pray right there in your seat if you want. If you want to come up to the altar, the altar's open. Come and kneel. Do some work with the Lord this morning. If you want to be delivered, you've got to ask. You've got to be humble enough to come in repentance and ask the Lord, and he will do it. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. God, your word is heavy on our hearts. Lord, we believe what it says. We believe, Lord, that you are our deliverer. We believe that. We declare that today to our own selves and to one another. Lord, we believe that you are the one who changes hearts. Lord, that you are the one who leads us to repentance. Lord, that it's all by your grace. Lord, and your grace abounds to those who humble themselves before you. But today, Lord, help us to do it afresh. Help us to trust in you. Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to repent and follow you in faith, whatever it is. Lord, for those who need to come and to repent of their sin and to seek you for salvation, God, I pray that they would do that today. For those who need to come and just confess again to you the same sin they've been confessing day after day, week after week, but I pray that they would come with broken hearts, repentant hearts, Lord, willing to let you be the one who comes in and by your grace deliver them from that sin. God, we need you. We trust in you. Lord, come and do a fresh work today. Come, take these sinners and deliver us by your grace, for your glory. I pray all this in Christ's name.